Hi there, and welcome to episode 58 of the Wayback Music Machine podcast, the show that takes a weekly look at the week that was in rock and roll history, and we do it in a lighthearted fashion. I'm Tony Stewart, live from The Bunker here in Perth, Ontario. <laughs> and I'm Aaron Badgley, live from the third floor of a hot building here in Toronto. <laughs> and we, my friend, are about to hop in the virtual van and go on a road trip, but we're doing something a little different today. We're going to do a special exclusive from Memphis to Merseyside moment. So why don't you let people know what that means? Who are we going to be talking about? Well, that means we're going to be talking about two of the, in my opinion, most influential artists in rock and roll, uh, two of the most, but not the most, Elvis Presley uh, and the Beatles. So lots going on in the Beatle world and the Elvis Presley world this week. And, and you know what, Tony, the movie's coming out next week, right? Uh, yeah, the 24th. My gosh, that's not yeah. that far off. Oh, I can't no, wait. No, I can't wait to see that movie. I really can't. Yeah, me too. So why don't we hop in the van and uh, take a road trip and talk some Elvis and some Beatles. What could be better? So, Tony, we're going to start kind of in New York City and kind of in England, and I'll explain that. On June 13th, 1975, John Lennon made his last ever TV appearance, well, singing anyways, because there was clips of him on the news, but his last TV appearance where he's singing on a show called Salute to Lou, Sir Lou Grade, and Sir Lou Grade was a music publisher and music mogul in England. Um he was filmed or recorded or televised in New York at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, and it was beamed or shown in England on June 13th, 1975. I have a question. Okay. Do you like Waldorf salads? You know what? I've heard of Waldorf salads, but I'm going to reveal my ignorance here. Uh, I'm not sure what's in a Waldorf salad, to be honest. So what's in that thing? I, I think it's like got whipped cream in it or something. Oh, are you serious? That sounds kind of gross, actually. Yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of them myself. They're, 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 I've had them once. My mother-in-law served it once, and I thought, what the hell is this? Okay. Uh, That's like, do you, remember, do you remember the uh, fruit suspended in Jello? Do you remember that trend? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> hello, hello, 1971. They want your dessert back. <laughs> <laughs> like, who thought that was a good idea? Seriously. <laughs> oh, man. I It was... Oh my, yeah, I grew up on that one. That was, and it, and it was funny because it was supposed to be fancy. Look, there's um, <laughs> there's oranges in this Jello. Great. <laughs> I'm wondering how we transitioned from John Lennon to Fruit Salad here. <laughs> that's how we roll, Tony. You and I. So uh, this special, John performed two songs. He performed "Slipping and Sliding," which was on his most recent album called "Rock and Roll." And he performed Imagine, and he had a backup band, which was not his usual Plastic Ono band. The band was known as BOMF, which stood for, I'm not going to say the whole thing, but Brothers of Mother Blank. Yeah, you can fill um, in the blanks, folks. Yeah. Fill in the blanks. Now, I don't know if you're familiar, Tony, but Sir Lou Grade is the person that took over the Beatles, uh, John and Paul's songwriting catalog in 1969. So there was a lot of animosity between Sir Lou Grade and John and Paul. And in fact, Sir Lou Grade went so far as to sue Lennon and McCartney in the 70s 
because they were under contract with their publishing company until 75, which meant that everything they wrote, even individually, he would he owned. But see, what Paul and John did was they would give Yoko and Linda McCartney co-writing. So Sir Louis Great said, no, sorry, these guys can't write songs. And they had to go to court, and Linda McCartney had to prove in court that she could actually write a song. Like how humiliating. I know, right? Really terrible. So when, when John performed on this show, the band wore this kind of headgear where they, they were wearing a, a, a bald wig with another face on the back of their heads to indicate, you know, a two-faced person. I mean, this is John's statement. And the reason he did the show was to, to kind of make nice and settle lawsuits and all that kind of stuff. But it was a, if you ever watch it on YouTube, it's quite odd. It's really very odd. Yeah, I'm going to look that up because uh, that just almost sounds surreal, eh? Like the, the two-faced masks and wild for him to take a dig like that. Oh, it, he took a complete dig. I mean, and this is, I mean, he, and the fact of the name of the band. and um, But so the, 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 it was part of a settlement for Out of Court in 1974. The other part of the settlement was a Paul McCartney special on TV in England on a network owned by Sulu Great. And the show was called James Paul McCartney. So it was kind of a, a long court battle that kind of got resolved. McCartney now owns the copyrights to his old songs. Um, so it's just kind of a, a bizarre time. But this was the last thing that Lennon ever did musically on TV. It was filmed in April, months before Sean was born, and John went into his five-year house husband phase. So it's an interesting time. And isn't it, uh, it, it fascinating, too, that it's 1975 that he makes his last TV appearance as a singer you know five years right that's that that's the last one and and then there's five years before he dies yeah it's and and unfortunately they never had time to perform anything off double fantasy on any kind of tv show or or talk show or even do a video i mean the videos for double fantasy were all just found footage of john and yoko uh it is sad but um you know, you can honestly say he went out with a bang because it's a pretty, it's a pretty interesting, it's different. It's very good. The fact that he did slipping and sliding and then imagine and imagine is done entirely on the acoustic guitar and no piano. Oh, wow. So it's a different version. It's well worth the, it's, it's, it's worth, it's worth looking at YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. Now, do you have uh, a version? Is there a version of imagine on acoustic guitar on Spotify at all? Or is it just the one with piano that we all know? Yeah, just the one with the piano that we all know. I looked for, actually for one. I, I'll look again. Now it's interesting you asked that question because I don't. Are you are you aware that Julian Lennon, Sean's son from his first marriage with Cynthia, has put out an acoustic guitar version of Imagine? Have I was aware of that. Yeah. What did you think of? Have you heard it? It's, it's I of, haven't heard it, but I heard the news that he had released it. And what yeah, do you think of the version? I like it. I don't know. You know, I don't. I, I think it's odd that he would cover it because he's going to inevitably get compared to his dad right but um i think it's a nice version actually i think lennon's voice julian lennon's voice <laughs> has matured with age and and uh, i was always a julian fan so I, I quite like it so yeah it's not bad but it's not john and um uh, we'll see how it goes i don't know how successful he'll be with it but um yeah it's good now uh what did you pick for the charts here this is june 13th 1975 so so I thought it'd be, I thought because this was being beamed via satellite to England, and actually North Americans didn't get to see it until much later, I thought I'd do the UK top five singles, which is really weird because the number five single is a, 
really in 75 it was an old song stand by your man by tammy wynette wow i i I, i'm speechless i don't know number four is the stylistic sing baby sing i think i don't know if that title would be okay these days number three is a song that is really interesting because it's completely done this is 75 there's very few acoustic instruments it's all synthesizer and loops and the song is called i'm not in love i i have to admit i love that song i'm i'm a fan of that song I am as well, but when I read about how they recorded it and how they had to do 100 vocals so you get that kind of, it's an incredible story. Read, read about how the, the recording of 10 CCs, I'm Not In Love, it's, it's a, a remarkable story. And the album it's from called The Original Soundtrack is one of my all-time favorite albums. Number two, Shawadi Wadi. <laughs> Say that without laughing. <laughs> and their cover of Three Steps to Heaven. And number one. Another cover version by Windsor Davies and Don Estelle, a song called Whispering Grass Don't Tell the Trees. John Lennon at this this very week was at number 42 with Stand By Me, his most recent single, and it was slipping down the charts already. It wasn't a big hit in the UK. It was a much bigger hit in North America. So that's the charts, Tony. And an, it was an excellent cover, too. I love uh, Lennon's version of Stand By Me. I think it's as good as the original, quite frankly. Yeah, I think it is too. I think it stands up really well to Ben E. King's version, for sure. I do too. And I think Ben liked it too, so there you go. Now, uh, we are going to talk a little Elvis next, and we're going to hop to June the 16th, 2002. So let's uh, set the time machine. Maybe maybe we should do a little less conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Nice one. Nice segue, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back. Now, before we talk about this Elvis story that happened in 2002, I want to frame Elvis's career in a little bit of uh, perspective here. His career was only 23 years long. Isn't that astounding? Mm. Incredible. So this story, though, 46 years, so twice that amount, 46 years after his first hit, Elvis Presley had a number one. He had a four-week run at number one on the UK singles chart with one of my favorite Elvis songs, actually, A Little Less Conversation. Uh, and that, now you said this is Elvis versus JXL. That must be an, another artist. But it gave Elvis a total of 18. Wow. 18 UK number, number one ones. singles. And that is the most by any artist in chart history. It also set a record for the longest span of number one hits with 44 years, 11 months, and nine days. So Elvis did it again. His first UK single was All Shook Up back in 1957. I love A Little Less Conversation. And that is uh, from the movie Live a Little, Love a Little. And the scene where he does that uh, song is fantastic. Yeah, it, it, it was 60, 1968, it was originally recorded. So you think about that in 68, 2002 was how many years, Tony? You're a teacher. That's about 24. Oh, that's a long there. time. Yeah, let me do my math here. I'm embarrassed that I'm at uh, 12 years. Well, she had a 1980. 20, yeah. the thir- wow, 30 years, 32 years takes you to 2034 years. So, I mean, it was remixed by this guy named JXL, but it's still a. a, a 30 or 40 year old song that was topping the charts worldwide except for two 
very distinct places. But anyways, I love that song. I actually like the movie Live a Little, Love a Little, too, you know? Yeah, it's a great movie and uh, one of Elvis's better ones, I think. Well, I think by 68, he was being a bit more choosy. Um, and it was actually a B-side to a single called Almost in Love. But it was it charted on its own, too, as a B-side, which most of Elvis's singles did. You know, they would the DJs would, would play the A-side, then flip it over and play the B-side on the radio. The only other group that did that was really the Beatles. They would play both sides of every single because people wanted to hear them, you know? And now the writer of this song, uh, well, the two writers, Mac Davis, we were talking about Mac Davis, I think last week. We've been connecting we were, a lot of episodes yeah. lately, actually, but, <laughs> you know, so we're doing Scar- our job, obviously, spooky, right? Spooky, spooky. Yeah. <laughs> but Mac Davis and Billy Strange uh, wrote the tune, but we've said this before in the show, Elvis had a unique deal where if he sang your your song, he got 50% of the, was it the songwriting credits that he got, 50%? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, percent. well, look at the name of the, the, the publishing company. Uh, for this one, it was Gladys Music Incorporated. I think Gladys is his mom. Oh, yeah, that's right. So all of Elvis's, if, you, if Elvis recorded your song, Gladys Music Incorporated got the copyright of the, the actual composition. Yeah, I mean, a deal like that, uh, it's amazing that he was able to get away with that in all honesty, because uh, I don't think that could happen anymore. No, but I think it, it's a hell of a deal. But at the same time, you're getting the biggest singer of, of in the world recording your song. So, you know, Mac Davis parlayed this into a career. He wrote a song called Kentucky Rain mm-hmm. for Elvis too. And not long after that, Mac Davis had, you know, his own string of hits, and he had a career in acting, a TV show, and all that. And there's other writers, too. Hoyt Axton um, comes to mind, Billy Sherrell. So there was, there was people that kind of, by having Elvis record your song, even though you lost 50% of that particular song, you still had a sizable career. And, I mean, look at Mac Davis. He, he, got, a, um, he got tons of money in, in 2002. Which is not bad, right? No, for sure. And um, he had a great career. I mean, Mac Davis stuck around for quite a while. It's hard to be humble. (laughs) When you're perfect in every way. (laughs) It's scary that you could just do that like that, you know? Anyway. (laughs) So, now, you had an interesting statistic here. As opposed to a chart, you said a little less conversation made number one in the following countries. Why don't you just share... Uh, the list of countries because this yeah it's it's incredible right yeah well australia and it made number one in the australian dance charts which can you imagine the song that old topping madonna it made number one in canada denmark ireland hungary netherlands sweden switzerland i didn't write it down here but also scotland in the European charts, which we talked about a couple of episodes ago, which was all of the European countries pulled together, it peaked at number two. Now, what's interesting is that in America, and again, you think Elvis and you think America, it peaked at 50, Tony. 50. Well, you know what? There's always someone who's going to bring je- <laughs> Jello salad to the party, right? And thank you, <laughs> with, with USA. <laughs> Once again, proving uh, it's un- unbelievable, right? Like it, it, you would think that he's an American treasure in many ways, and yet the, the single it's, it's exploding everywhere, including Canada, your nearest neighbor, and no one picked up on it in the states. And I love, I love that version of the song. I think it's great. 
Yeah, and you know, and the other part that is kind of ironic about this is that Elvis never performed in any of these countries except for Canada. <laughs> Good, excellent point. True, true, true. Yeah, it's and and just the fact that the song, which came out in '68, and the only other time that happened, and this song didn't make number one, it was when um, "Got to Get You Into My Life" came out in '76, and it was only ten years old. Um, and the other song, there was a song from the '30s called "Shaving Cream," which became a novelty hit in the mid '70s. But it was not the same as this. This was monster on the dance charts. You could go. I remember going. You know, dance clubs were playing it, and they made a new video for it. I remember the video distinctly. You know, it was a really big song, big, 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 big time. Now we are going to do another Elvis story in a moment. We're going to go to June seventeenth, nineteen fifty-five, and love him or hate him. Uh, we're going to be talking, of course, about Colonel Tom Parker. Uh, that was a pretty momentous uh, decision that was made on this day in June 17th, 1955. So let's head to Memphis and we'll be right back. Tony, have you ever heard of Colonel Homer Simpson? He... Uh... <laughs> he managed Yearling Lumpkin's career. That's a great episode, by the way. Um, so here we're talking about June 17th, 1955. A momentous occasion arises um, because Colonel Tom Parker Parker arranges a meeting with Elvis and the rest is history. And, and Elvis is then manager. So, again, you said before the break, love him or hate him, What's your opinion on Tom Parker? Could Elvis Presley have gotten where he got without Tom Parker? Tony? In all honesty, I don't think so. I think uh, he was the right person for Elvis Presley at the right time, and he recognized what Elvis represented. Um, And I don't think that Elvis would have been able to get that kind of national exposure that he got with Colonel Tom Parker. He was in 1955, still a pretty regional act. And it wasn't until he signed uh, with Parker that his popularity really exploded. That being said, I think that relationship really hurt Elvis later on in his career. But I, it's one of those love and hate situations, isn't it? What do you think? I think Elvis really loved Colonel Tom. He trusted him implicitly. I think his dad did too, and I, I'm I'm curious to see this new film. We we kind of talked a bit about it, but it's coming out next week, and and Tom Hanks is taking the role on, right? Yeah, and, and uh, really interesting what they've done, you know, with Tom Hanks. Uh, he's he's obviously wearing some kind of prosthetic uh, to add about fifty pounds to himself, and and the accent and everything, and it looks fascinating. I can't wait to see it, but. What like Tom Parker? Do you think Elvis would have had the national career like he did without him? I think Tom Parker was really good. I think if you take away the negative pieces of this guy and you look at his ability to market and merchandise and to to create a demand, and he really did create demands for Elvis. He he kind of was smart enough never to have Elvis overexposed. If you think about it. Well, no, although exactly. some, would, some would say his uh, hip wiggling was overexposed, but <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, for sure. He, I mean, he did a lot of things that were certainly revolutionary for the time in terms of representing an artist. And there are stories about Tom Parker early on, right? Selling merchandise at Elvis mm-hmm. shows. And he would even sell buttons to parents groups that said, I hate Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> like he would sell it all. So, you know, he had a reputation as being like a carnival man, a huckster, because that's that was his background, right? He was that was car- his background, right? Yeah, that he was, was a carnival background. guy. Um, but he knew how to uh, manipulate people, I think. And he certainly had a vision. He saw something in Elvis. And that biopic that's coming out June 24th, supposedly, is from Tom Parker's perspective. So that, that should be interesting. Well, I think, you know, it, it's he, he did see something. He saw something how Elvis was interacting with the audience. He saw how he impacted the audience. I think he saw a young man he could mold. But... I think it went beyond that, right? Because he really became Elvis's confidant. And whatever Tom, for example, and I know it's a silly thing, but if you look at any Elvis record, there's no credit for producer because Tom Parker wanted it to be an Elvis record, not the producer's name. It's Elvis, right? Such an odd thing. But yet, you think about it, it it becomes an Elvis record, right? Um, So I don't know. I, I think he's, you know, the whole thing about never letting Elvis play outside the U.S. was the biggest mistake but um we know because he was afraid he would because tom parker wasn't an american citizen right no and and i can't remember what his original name is because tom parker was a pseudonym uh he was dutch though but he was afraid that he couldn't go back that he would get in trouble and so so yeah he brought elvis down with him with not even thinking that you could hire an associate manager to go with elvis to germany and france and Japan, El- he wanted to control Elvis. Don't you think? Like, don't, he never let Elvis kind of alone. No, absolutely not. He was he was omnipresent, and I think later on in Elvis's career, uh, that became a detriment, but certainly helped him early on. And yeah, I, I agree. I agree. But you know, it became about the money after a while and, and control. And um, but. Sometimes what frustrates me, Tony, is is that, that the Colonel Tom Parker story gets in the way of just appreciating who Elvis was as a talent, as a singer, dancer, actor, all that stuff. Do you know what I mean? Well, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I've always said, even at the school when I've taught kids in music class about Elvis Presley, my big fear is that Elvis, by this generation, gets relegated to being a Halloween costume, if you know what I mean. Well... Yeah, okay, so I do worry that about that too because look at Bing Crosby, who at one point was an Elvis in the '40s and early '50s, massive, and now he's known for the guy who sings "White Christmas." Yeah, no one knows about the other zillion songs he recorded, the radio shows, the Road Two movies. It's the same thing with Elvis. Although I will say, I, I wouldn't worry about that in Europe and England because when you look at the English charts and you listen to Irish radio or English radio or even I was listening to a station in Germany the other day uh, just kind of because I was bored and they played Elvis they played um, Kentucky Rain I was oh, like oh wow. okay and just as a matter of you know, kind of went from Kentucky Rain into you know uh, something brand new I forget Ed Sheeran I thought hmm don't take Elvis over Ed but um the point is that in, in Europe and England, he's still very much uh, a household name. Over here, I agree with you. I get worried about, but maybe this film will change that. Maybe this film will create a buzz because I know a lot of people who want to see it and they're young. 
you know? Yeah, well, hopefully. And, you know, back in 1955, I mean, Elvis was still being booked as a country artist, uh, appearing on shows like that, like venues like the Louisiana Hayride. But I'm going to segue there into what you picked for the charts, which is the top five country singles in the U.S. And that's why I did it. That's exactly why. See, Tony, I don't even have to tell you. We just had that psychic link going on. Right, right? in sync. Yep. <laughs> So I, I did the top five because at 55, he wasn't rock and roll yet. Nope. He was a country artist. And so let's look at the top five singles from that week in 1955. Number five, Tennessee Ernie Ford and the incredible song. I love this song, The Ballad of Davy Crockett. Um, number four is an artist who I love dearly, Fair and Young. And I love this title, Live Fast, Love Hard, Die Young. Yeah, that's a great title. <laughs> Don't take that as advice, anyone. <laughs> Number three, Hank Snow with Yellow Roses and the flip side, which was, hey, would you mind? And number two is Kitty Willis with another double-sided hit with Make Believe and Whose Shoulder Will You Cry On? Kind of reminds me of that Shania Twain song, Whose Boots Have Your Bed Been Under? Um, and number one, a classic, 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 Webb Pierce in the general house now. And, and very few people know that Webb Pierce would go on to have a hit under another name called One-Eyed, One-Horned, Flying Purple People. Oh, Eater. look at that. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Well, yeah, you know what? I'm ringing the bell. Here we go. <laughs> just for Andrea. Just for Andrea. And now, you know what? This is going to possibly astound people because it astounds me. If we jump ahead exactly 10 years mm -hmm. to June 17th, 1965, we're going to be talking about what might be the most widely recorded song in history. So we'll be right back with a little Beatles talk. So here we are, June 17th, 1965, exactly 10 years later. And at Abbey Road Studios, the famous Abbey Road Studios in London, England, the Beatles are just finishing work on a new Paul McCartney song called Yesterday. And they overdubbed an additional vocal track by Paul and a string quartet. It was a highly unusual song for a number of reasons, but I'm going to turn it over to you, Aaron. We can talk a little bit more about the recording of yesterday and what makes it so special besides the fact that it's so widely recorded and covered. Well, I, and, and I'm just going to, I'm, I'm sure everyone listening knows this, but you know the name, the original name of the song yesterday? It was something to do with like scrambled eggs or something, right? Or Exactly. He, he McCarty came up with a melody and he hadn't written lyrics. So the original lyrics were scrambled eggs, how I love to eat my scrambled eggs. But eat them with you, with your legs. Oh, I do love my scrambled eggs. <laughs> Luckily, <laughs> thankfully, Paul changed the words at George Martin's insistence, and he came up with yesterday a song that uh, is is a bona fide, iconic, classic song, which has now been recorded by more people than anyone else, and I think has been played on the radio more than any other song. I think sometimes because it's only two minutes and four seconds helps because it can fit in anywhere. It's also uh, I mean, number one as a single in America and Canada. And so Paul had this song and he takes it to George Martin. And George Martin says, you know, I heard, I, you know, the Beatles tried to record it as the four piece. And 
it just didn't work. It's it's not a four piece combo song. It's really an acoustic piece. And George Martin and Paul McCartney changed rock and roll forever by bringing in a string quartet to, you know, do these lovely things. And and what's interesting, Tony, is that the song is recorded in two takes. Wow. Two takes. And when the song was recorded on June 14th, because 17th is when they did the final overdose, but on June 14th, they released it, they recorded a song, another McCartney song in one take called I'm Down. And I don't know if many people, I should put that on the playlist. It's a rocker. It's like, you know, you tell last thing and I can't see. And it's, um, it's hard to believe that he sang that song and then goes, oh yeah, let's do Yesterday now. <laughs> it just blows me away. Yeah, it, it's an incredible achievement. And isn't it correct too that he had that, he was really worried that he had subconsciously stolen that melody from somewhere and it sat in his brain for a few weeks didn't it he wanted to make sure that he hadn't ripped off somebody else's tune he was so paranoid he and he would he he would he went around and kept singing to people and um finally george martin said paul you wrote it you wrote it in your sleep i have to i have to ask you a question have you ever seen paul mccartney's uh, film called give my regards to broad street yes yes i saw it a long time ago it's been a long time but it's been a long time for me too, but there's a scene where he he's envisioning that he's lost all his money and he's out busking, and he's out in front of Victoria Station in England, London, and he's doing like a skiffle like yesterday, really fast with the acoustic guitar. So funny story is that they actually set him up on the street. No one knew it was Paul McCartney. Oh, that's and fantastic. they had the cameras hidden in a car, and people were giving him money. Then can you imagine if you walked by and went, <laughs> don't. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I was just walking through a subway, but anyways, and and uh, so it, it's just one of those songs, and and lyrically, it broke ground for not being a love song. I mean, it's a love song, but it's not. It's it's it's. I mean, he wrote some great lines in that song, you know. Like, yeah, I, I think that's about as close to a perfect song as you can get. I I would agree. I would agree. And it was on this day. He and they they recorded it two takes. Uh, the string quartet, then McCartney did a vocal overdub, and the rest, as you would say, is history. And and by the way, Tony, you know what this Saturday is? Saturday? What's the 18th? Saturday? Yeah, yeah. I think Saturday's the 18th, yeah. He's turning 80 years old. Incredible. Incredible. I tell you, and my, my, my two daughters in the States, because he's touring the States right now, have, Linda was seeing him on the 16th, and uh, Emily saw him a couple of a month ago. So, oh, still out nice. there, still out there, still out there. All right, I so, think I did charts too, didn't I? Yeah, you did charts. You picked the top five UK albums. So this is wow, what an interesting list here too. It's so bizarre. I tell you, I, actually, I, I added a six because number six is Bob Dylan bringing it all back home. Number five, Bob Dylan. The freewheeling Bob Dylan, which at that point was almost two years old. <laughs> Number four, you never get tired of it, Mary Poppins. Number three, Burt Bacharach. I didn't know he made albums. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Hitmaker. <laughs> wow, <laughs> and that's a, that's a pretty apt description. Boy, that guy wrote a lot of hip song, hit songs. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe that? I mean, again, Bacharach and David, and, and, oh. and, um, and they're great songs, too. You can't. Don't even argue with me on this one. They're great songs. Well, you know what just flashed into my mind is in the Austin Powers movie, right? When uh, <laughs> when he's like, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Burt Bacharach. <laughs> <He's> got... 
We really had to do a show about <laughs> comedies that use great music effectively, right? Yeah, exactly. We, we really do. Number two was a, a, an album at this point was almost a year old called The Beatles for Sale, Beatles. Number one, Sound of Music, which just hung on the charts in England for seems like a decade. But I, I added a couple for you. Number nine was Elvis Presley, Girl Happy. Dylan was at number 11 with another album called The Times They Are Changing. How big was Dylan in England this year, right? Yeah. And number 18, uh, The Beatles with A Hard Day's Night. So the, you, you kind of get a picture of the giants, Elvis, The Beatles, Dylan, and let's face it, Burt Bacharach too, right? But um, yeah, good charts, good times, good oldies. <laughs> and you know what? This was a great show. Uh it is really fun. We should do these Memphis to Merseyside specific shows more often. I, I really enjoy it. I agree. Them. I'm with you. And I'm you know, I you. just thought, wouldn't this concept make for a great radio show? I was thinking the exact same thing. You read my mind again, Tony. Yeah, it would be a fantastic radio show. So you something read my to, mind uh, again. Something to put in the filing cabinet, possibly. But uh, as always folks you never know when that filing cabinet's going to open up right well that's right and uh, as always folks we'd like to give you a big thank you for listening to us today and letting us uh, ramble on about elvis and the beatles because we're such big fans everything that you do from sharing the show to commenting on our social media posts to telling other people about episodes and all of it and listening every week letting us into your headphones every week we are so very much appreciative of that and uh, of course music from today's episode was by rick denis so thank you rick for that and aaron you know what Uh, for both of us i think it's been a bit of a long week for a variety of reasons but uh, our sign off feels really appropriate right now so folks Oh, oh so today it does yes it does yes so folks you know when you really feel like the man is bringing you down you got to keep on rocking because that's basically it. See you next time, folks.